turn in the Scriptures to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48, we'll read the 22 verses of this chapter. This is the Word of the Lord. And it came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, Behold, thy father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And one told Jacob, and said, Behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon the bed. And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and blessed me, and said unto me, Behold, I will multiply, make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I will make thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. And now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt, before I came unto thee into Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and, Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. And thy issue, which thou begettest after them, shall be thine, and shall be called after the name of their brethren in their inheritance. And as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way, when yet there was but a little way to come unto Ephrath. And I buried her there in the way of Ephrath, the same as Bethlehem. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, They are my sons, whom God hath given me in this place. And he said, Bring them, I pray thee, unto me, and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim for age, so that he could not see. And he brought them near unto him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said unto Joseph, I had not thought to see thy face. And lo, God hath showed me also thy seed. And Joseph brought them out from between his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near unto him. And Israel stretched out his right hand, and laid it upon Ephraim's head, was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him, and he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused and said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, In thee shall Israel bless, saying, God make thee as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And he set Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said unto Joseph, 
Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren, which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. There ends our reading of God's holy word. The text for the sermon is the blessing of Jacob in verses 15 and 16. And he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, this sermon served two purposes when I preached it in my own congregation of Southwest Church. The first is that it is a sermon as a part of a series. The series is on the angel of the Lord going through some of the many passages that speak of his various appearances. And many of them are familiar stories that you, without even any research, would recall. You know the story of the appearance of God in the burning bush to Moses, right? Well, you would maybe be surprised to know that it was the angel of the Lord that appeared to Moses in the burning bush. You know the story of the appearance of the captain of the Lord's host to Joshua on the eve of the battle of Jericho. That was the angel of the Lord. You might even remember the first appearance of the angel of the Lord, though it's not quite as familiar to us. And this was the appearance to Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid of Sarah. When she fled from Sarah, who dealt hardly with her, and the angel came compassionately and comforted her, and called her to go back and take back her place in the covenant family of Abraham and of God. The angel of the Lord made many appearances, and there are more besides there throughout the Old Testament. This passage is different from those that I just mentioned. In all of those other passages and in most Almost all of the passages in which the angel of the Lord is present or mentioned, it's a personal appearance to an individual, or it's an actual work that's told, and the history of that work is told. This passage is different. There's no one specific event that's being recounted by Jacob that the angel did. But really, it's a life, a confession of his lifelong care for Jacob. And so the other similar passage to this, which speaks not just to one instance of the angels appearing or his working, but Psalm 34, verse 7, which is the truth, that the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivers them. The angel of the Lord made some wonderful appearances, but Jacob's testimony in this passage tells us that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is constantly at work. Now you must know also who the angel of the Lord is. The angel of the Lord is a divine person who is at the same time 
one with God, having divine characteristics, doing divine works like this one of redeeming, receiving divine honors such as worship, and being feared as God so that at times when someone would see the angel of the Lord, they would wonder that they hadn't died because they knew they saw God. The angel of the Lord is a divine person who is one with God and yet can be distinguished within the Trinity as being distinct from the Father and the Spirit. He is the Lord Jehovah, but He is at the same time distinct as the angel of Jehovah. Everything that the angel of Jehovah does, he does for the sake of his covenant. And from all of his works, and from all of his words that we read of him in the Old Testament, it becomes very clear that he is the pre-incarnate Christ. He is the Son of God, who is eternally appointed to be the Savior and mediator of his people, But before He took on flesh, He would sometimes appear and He often worked apart from His human form that He would later take permanently. The other purpose that this passage served as I preached it at the beginning of the month was for the beginning of a new school year and the beginning of a catechism season. And it's still early enough in the year that I don't hesitate and I'm glad for the opportunity to bring this word to you And this passage is a wonderful motivation, a wonderful motivation for taking up our calling as believers and the calling to train up our children in the way that they should go and to raise them up as God's children in the fear of God's name. So let's consider the angel of the Lord who is invoked in Jacob's blessing. First of all, the God invoked. Second, the blessing pronounced, it's the blessing pronounced by Jacob upon his sons, or his son Joseph, and Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And then finally, the faith that Jacob expressed in blessing his children and his grandchildren. The history of this passage takes place in Egypt. Israel is in Egypt. By this time, Jacob and his His sons, his 11 sons, have been reconciled with Joseph in Egypt. There was a reunion through the providence of God. Under his sovereignty, even their sins against Joseph led to this reunion taking place in Egypt. And Jacob is dying. He is on his deathbed. And when Joseph hears that news, he wastes no time in going to Jacob to see him, and he brings Manasseh and Ephraim, his sons, with him. And Manasseh and Ephraim are little boys because they're standing between his knees. They're little boys that he brings to see their grandfather before he dies. And when Israel or Jacob hears that Joseph is coming, he strengthens himself and sits up upon the bed Hebrews 11 tells us that he's leaning upon the top of his staff, takes all of his strength just to sit up. And the idea of leaning upon the top of his staff, many commentators point out that it's probably more likely that he's leaning upon the top of his bed or the head of his bed. And he is, that's the best that he can do in his sickness and old age. 
And he recounts God's appearance to him at Luz and the promise that God had given to him. And he gives Joseph some wonderful news in that he counts Joseph's sons as his own sons. And later on, he expresses his, his wonder at the mercy of God and not only allowing him to see Joseph. I never thought I'd see Joseph again. And now I see Joseph's sons. It was an, a miracle for Jacob and from Jacob's perspective that he could see these children alive. And when Joseph bring, comes then, and after Jacob had addressed Joseph, he looks to the sons and his eyesight is dim. He can't see very well. He's almost blind. And he asks Joseph, who are these? And they are the sons whom he has just counted as his own. And Joseph bring, tells them who they are and Jacob calls them near for a blessing. And when he begins to bless them, Joseph had led them in order of age. In Joseph's right hand was Ephraim, and in Joseph's left hand was Manasseh. So that when he leads them to Jacob, who's facing in the opposite direction, Jacob's right hand will go on the head of the firstborn Manasseh, and his left hand on the head of Ephraim, the secondborn. But Jacob wittingly, knowingly, crosses his arms. And he puts his right hand upon the younger Ephraim and his left hand upon the older Manasseh. Joseph protested. Jacob resisted that protest and rejected it. He blessed them according to, God, according to the will of God. Even as God had loved Jacob the younger and hated Esau, so Jacob, by, the, by faith, blessed Ephraim the younger with the greater blessing rather than Manasseh. When Jacob blessed the two sons of Joseph, he began by invoking God. That's a word that's not in the text, but it's the, man, it's the form of the text. When, when he blessed Joseph and said, God, 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 the angel, those are the three subjects of the verb, bless the lads. God, God, the angel, Bless the lads. He's invoking God to do the blessing. Even though we can count it as Jacob's blessing, he invokes God to do it. He knows only God could give the blessing and an invocation is an appeal to a higher power and ultimately an appeal to God. An appeal to God, a request, an invocation that He would do something according to our word. And in some of the psalms we sang, we invoked God to hear our prayer. Oh God, hear my prayer. Attend to the voice of my supplications. Forgive my sins. Well, here it's not a request for some kind of particular action of this or that, save for this. He invokes God to bless his grandchildren. This is not a presumptuous thing. and It's not a sacrilegious thing. It's something that should be done very carefully and reverently. We don't go around invoking God to do this or to do that all of the time in our life. We're careful with the name of God. We don't take it in vain. And Jacob is using the name of God carefully here. He invokes God according to his will. 
He invokes God according to what God has already revealed about children of believers and even the generations of believers in His covenant. And so it is that Hebrews 11 counts Jacob as a hero of faith. For all the things that were a part of Jacob's life, this is what gave him a place in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 21, By faith Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. He blessed them by faith, and he worshipped God by faith as he blessed them. And the worship of his blessing is that he acknowledged God as the only one who is able to give the blessing that he sought for his grandchildren. If he would have sought the blessing from any other God, or if he would have tried of his own strength to give them a blessing, of his own strength of his flesh, or of his own possessions, then he would not have honored God as the one who blesses all, and the only one who gives a blessing. But he honored God on his deathbed as the one from whom all blessings flow. Another note about the form of Jacob's invocation is that it's an end-of-life confession. It's a dying confession. And he reflects on his whole life in this confession. That's evident especially in the second part of the invocation. First, he invokes God of, the God of Abraham and Isaac, and then the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. A lifelong feeding that Jacob received. He's reflecting on all of his sojourning, all of his pilgrimage, all of the troubles in his life, all of his personal wanderings. It was God who fed me. And then even the angel, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, from every evil thing, from every trial, from every trouble, from every affliction, from every sin. This is the testimony that Jacob gives to his own life. If anyone is interested in examining the life of Jacob, this is where you should begin. Begin with Jacob's own testimony about his life and for any who are coming to the end of their life and seek to learn how to examine the sojourn that God, they have walked. You look to the example of Jacob who died by faith. And you will confess the care of God throughout your whole life long. When, the God, when Jacob invokes God, he uses, as I mentioned, three, three subjects. God, God, and the angel. Three subjects, so we have a threefold invocation. It's at the very least an evidence that Jacob and the Old Testament saints knew something about the plurality of persons in the Godhead. They understood some of the distinctions within the Godhead if they did not even understand more of the doctrine that we confess as the Trinity. Let's look at those three parts now and see who the God is who is invoked to bless Jacob's grandchildren. First, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk. Jacob knew God as the God of his fathers. He knew God as the God of the one covenant of grace 
the God who changes not and whose covenant is everlasting. He knew this God to be the God who continues His covenant with generations, from Abraham to Isaac, and from Isaac to Jacob, and that gives him confidence for his son Joseph and his other sons, and even for his grandchildren. He knew that this God is the God with whom and before whom his fathers did walk. That's significant. The God before whom my fathers did walk. They had a relationship with this God. He is not merely a divine vending machine sending out blessings from heaven so that they might be favored among all the peoples of the earth. No, they walked with Him and they walked before Him. They had a relationship with Him. And so He invokes the God of the covenant. Bless the lads. Second, He invokes the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. Now Jacob counts himself as a covenant friend of God, and he recounts his own experience as the covenant friend of God. Really, friendship here isn't the best idea to have in our mind because Jacob says, the God who fed me, that word fed is the word shepherd, the God who shepherded me all my life long. It includes feeding and leading to green pastures. It also includes gathering up him up as a lamb and restoring him when he wandered with his rod and his staff. He was the lamb who grew up into a mature and sometimes obstinate sheep. But he knew God as his shepherd. This God was with him in the womb with the reprobate seed. And this God was guarding him and preserving him in the mischief of his youth. This God was leading him and preserving him when he fled for his life from Esau. And this, this God was with him when he took care of the flocks of Laban and when he was deceived by his uncle and when his family was torn apart with all kinds of grievous sin, and when his heart was rent with grief at the apparent loss of Joseph, and when famine threatened his family life and well-being, and even threatened his, his youngest and beloved son Benjamin, this God was his constant companion, guide, and provider. O oh, divine shepherd, bless the lads." Then once more he invokes God's name, but this time he doesn't use the name God. This time he calls him the angel. And we know that it's referring to the same being because all three of these terms, God, God, and the angel, refer, are associated with one verb, that is to bless the lads, and all three of these lines of Jacob's blessing are used in parallel, one right after the other, each one not precisely the same, but essentially the same, God of my fathers, God, my God, the angel, which redeemed me from all evil. Jacob came face to face with the angel multiple times throughout his life, at Bethel, at Jabbok, at Mahanaim, at Beersheba, many times God appeared to him, and every time God appeared to him, he appeared to him in the person of the Son of God, the angel of God. Even the prophet Hosea confirms, for example, that when Jacob was wrestling 
with a man wrestling with God. He was actually wrestling with the angel so that they are to be identified with one another. And so this angel is the God before whom Abraham and Isaac walked. And this angel is the God who shepherded Jacob his whole life long. And this angel thereby made him to lie down in green pastures and beside the still waters. This angel wrestled him, the adversary of his flesh, until Jacob ceased striving according to his own strength and clung to him and his promise. And now Jacob confesses the angel to be his redeemer. A redeemer is one who buys something to make that something his own. He pays a price. Jacob found himself to be surrounded by by many evils and many troubles in his life. Many of them are arising out of his own sinful nature. Many of them consist of his own sins against God. And he found much trouble throughout his life because of his sins. But the angel redeemed him from all of that evil. And when Jacob uses the term redeem here, he is thinking of how many times, how many instances that he walked into trouble and the Lord took him out of it. That he was about to be oppressed and the Lord saved his soul. That he would have been overwhelmed and the Lord held him up and sheltered him. So that every, in all of these instances, we, with the Spirit, from a New Testament perspective, can say, why is it that God delivered him out of all of these troubles? And it is ultimately because of the angel who would come in human flesh and redeem him from the root of all of his troubles, dying on the cross, taking away his sins. And so all his life long, Jacob, in the sight of God, was a righteous man whom God, in whom God delighted. And so he would not allow him to be overwhelmed or overtaken or to come to ruin. Whether we are in the strength of our youth as young parents or in our old age with grandchildren and great-grandchildren drawing near to us, as we look to the future of our generations, as we look at the children gathered in the schools, where does our hope come from? And we must not begin by extolling the virtues that we have set before them by our example. And we must not seek to bless them by begging and pleading them. And we do not beg and plead that they would of their own accord, of their own strength, choose God as their God. But we recognize like Jacob, and we worship God like Jacob by invoking God to give the blessing according to His will. We lift our eyes to Jehovah. That's what all the heroes of faith did. They lifted their eyes to Jehovah, even to the angel, who is the author and finisher of our faith. And Jacob had known Jesus, the angel, as the author of his faith. And Jacob had seen how his faith was sustained by God all his life long as he was fed by Him. And Jacob had come to know that God was also the finisher of his faith. As to his dying day, he confessed God to be his God. 
and was able to go to the throne of grace to obtain mercy not only for himself, but for his children also. And it's the, it's the desire of Jacob and the invocation of Jacob that his children would receive the blessing that he received. We don't need to hesitate when we look at our children or our grandchildren. We don't need to hesitate to, in an invocation of God. Would you dare do that? That's the question. Would you dare invoke God to bless your grandchildren? And I hope in a Reformed congregation, even a Protestant Reformed congregation, that there will be no hesitation. Because when we invoke God to bless our, grand, our children and our grandchildren, we're not doing anything more than what God has sealed to them already in the sacrament of baptism when He marks them as His own children and counts them as blessed members of His church. So what is this blessing that's pronounced? text says that he blessed Joseph, first of all. But then he goes on when he speaks to bless the lads. So he blesses Joseph by blessing Joseph's sons. And parents and grandparents will all understand that this is a blessing. When we, if There is all these things that we would desire, but none of them give us more joy than to see that our children walk in truth. And so this was a great blessing that Joseph pronounced upon Jacob by blessing his children. But still we need to know what the substance of this blessing is. Jacob says, bless the lads. What does that mean? Is that just some nameless good thing? And it's not. Jacob describes exactly the blessing that he would have come upon them. He says in verse 16, bless the lads and let my name be named on them. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So, what does that mean? My name. Let these grandchildren of mine have my name. And some go back to the adoption, the adoption of Ephraim and Manasseh as his own sons, like Reuben and Simeon. But that's not the meaning of of his name being upon them. Ephraim and Manasseh would not either change their names so that they would be called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But to understand this blessing, we need to remember what a name is. A name is something that speaks to who a person is. Who am I? What is my name? Or better yet, who is God? What is God's name? When we know His name, then we come to know Him. When we know Jesus' name, we know He's Savior. When we know His official title, that is part of His name. When we know His work, when we know His, his title is Lord, then we know that's His relationship to us. Our names, especially the names of God and the names God gives, reveal the essence of someone. So then, who is Abraham? And who is Isaac? And who is Jacob? And who are they together? In what sense do they share the same name? Well, that answer has already been given. Abraham and Isaac 
are those who walked before God. They walked before God as the objects of God's favor and the members of God's covenant. They are the friends of God. Who is Jacob? And along with Abraham and Isaac, is not Jacob the one whom God has loved? Loved eternally before he did good or evil? And with his new name Israel, he's the prince that had power with God and wrestled with God and prevailed, clinging to him and his promise. Hasn't Jacob told us who he is when he says that he was fed by the Lord all his life long? Doesn't that make him a lamb on God's flock? Under the care of God the shepherd? Who in his youth was gathered up in the shepherd's arms? And then as he grew older and sometimes wandered, he was restored over and over again, pulled in by that long outstretched rod and staff? And isn't Jacob the redeemed soul? The one for whom the angel would die on the cross and the one whom the angel brought out of all of his earthly troubles and preserved him so that not only would he see his long-lost son Joseph, but he would see his children's children. He never thought to see him, but under the care of God, he received that blessing from God. Jacob was a weak man in many respects. That's part of who he is by nature, but by the grace of God, he was preserved. And that becomes part of his name. Preserved from the strivings of his own flesh. Preserved through the troubles that he endured through his enemies. Preserved in a perfect hope. A steadfast faith. Preserved in the flock of God. Prospered and blessed into a great number through his family. That's the name that Jacob desires to be upon his grandchildren. And so, in beseeching and invoking God, bless the lads and let my name be upon them. He's really beseeching and invoking God. God, cause these grandchildren of mine to be thy friends and to walk before thee just like Abraham and Isaac walked. Cause these grandchildren of mine to be shepherded by thee. Count them, even though they're between the knees of their father right now, count them as thy lambs and care for them and bring them out of this land of bondage is implied here and bring them to the promised land. Count them as the recipients of the promise and redeem them from their troubles. Redeem them from the troubles that they will have in this land of Egypt and bring them out so that the, and lead them through the wilderness. And he would do precisely that. There's no greater blessing that Jacob could, could wish for. Let these, my son Joseph, and my grandsons Ephraim and Manasseh, let them be partakers of all the blessings of the covenant, just like I have received of thy hand. And my fathers, let this continuing in my gen- continue in my generations. That was his hope, a certain hope that he had, so strong that he called upon the name of God to give them this care. And that's the blessing we desire upon our children and our grandchildren. God, the God of our fathers, the God who's fed us our whole life long, the God who has redeemed us from all troubles. And how many different stories could be told in this room about how the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, has 
preserved us from our own weakness and preserved us from our enemies and let our children have their own story to tell on their dying day as those redeemed out of all their troubles and let our children be called thy friends and let our children be called thy sheep and let our children be called the members of thy church. It's all that we desire. Jacob didn't hesitate to say more than that. He also invoked God to let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And here he takes the promise that Abraham had received, and Isaac and Jacob and Jacob himself had received it, and he doesn't hesitate to apply it to his own generations that they'll multiply in number and become great amongst the nations, as many as the sand of the seashore innumerable. And indeed, that would come to pass, Jacob prophesied. Israel will have a phrase that they use. In verse 20, he said, he predicts, prophesies, in thee shall Israel bless, saying... And then this would become a common phrase, God make thee as Ephraim and Manasseh. God prosper you. God multiply you. God make you great. God withhold no blessing from you. And this is the double portion that Joseph would receive when Ephraim and Manasseh would become great in number. And in a spiritual sense, This promise is fulfilled and this blessing is fulfilled in the church even as it is today. The church as it's gathered here. The church as it's gathered in our churches. The church as it's gathered in our sisters. The church as it's gathered in all nations. Our friends and our contacts and wherever the Jesus Christ is in the midst of His church, there the promise to and the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh is realized even as the Gentiles are incorporated into the family of faith after Pentecost, then was this blessing fulfilled. The whole family of faith is increased to a multitude and they all bear the name of Jacob. They all are the friends of God. They all are shepherded by God. They all are preserved without fail from all evils because they're all covered in the blood of Christ and united to Him according to God's eternal decree of election and gathered by the the almighty power of Jesus Christ through His Word and Spirit. And so they begin to partake of His blessedness. When Jacob gave this blessing to his children, his grandchildren, he expressed his faith, and he did so by faith. And his faith is evident in a few different ways. First of all, the blessing is given, as Hebrews 11 says, when he was a dying. When he was, in, when he was a dying. And the significance of that is that Jacob had no strength. He's leaning upon the top of his staff. He had nothing to offer Joseph, much less anything to offer the little children who were between Joseph's knees. 
But still he had no doubt that there was one who was able to give a marvelous blessing to his son and his grandchildren. When he had no power, he called on the one of all power. Though he had no ability to reach into heaven and to grab the blessing, he, by faith in Jesus Christ, had no qualms about invoking the name of God and pronouncing a blessing upon his grandchildren. That's the faith that we have when a minister puts his arms up and pronounces a blessing upon you as a congregation. And that's a faith that I must have and you must have together as you receive it. Where, who's going to bless us? Is it not God? Then what's the significance of the word spoken here? And the arms raised and held over you. By faith, we invoke the blessing of God upon the whole congregation, including the children and the grandchildren who are gathered here. Even though we have no power in ourselves. His faith is also evident in start because he is in dire circumstances, not only personally, but his family is. Joseph's sons were Egyptians. They were born in the land of Egypt to an Egyptian mother. They were raised to this point as Egyptians. Their education would have an Egyptian flavor, though almost certainly Joseph had already began to school them himself as well. They looked and dressed and lived like Egyptians. But Jacob's blessing of his grandchildren was not dependent upon the worthiness of these boys or the worthiness of the boys' parents. Jacob's blessing was simply an application of the revealed will of God that he's pleased to save in the line of covenant generations. And for that reason, he shows his faith in God who is pleased to be the God of the covenant. And the faith of Jacob is also evident in the promises. Jacob applies the promise of the multiplication of the seed. He also, by implication, applied the promise that they would be the heirs of the land of promise, and that they would not forever live in Egypt, but that even these grandchildren of his and their generations would come and inherit the land. Jacob was not deterred by his present circumstances as he's dying. He was not deterred by his present circumstances residing in Egypt, by his son's long exile, by his grandson's unfamiliarity to him. He was confident in God and in the revealed will of God. Now our circumstances are different than Jacob's. But the essentials are similar and the applications can be drawn out and set before us. We show ourselves to be of the same faith of Jacob when we live with the hope and the confidence that the blessing of God shall be upon our children and grandchildren. And when we invoke God in prayer, to bless our children and our grandchildren. We don't need to hesitate. May the blessing of God be upon you, my son. May the blessing of God be upon you, my daughter. May the blessing of God be upon even your children as He continues His covenant with you. May may my name be your name. 
And that speaks only to the grace of God to me. May you, like I am, be the favored friend of God. May you, like I am, be cared for for your whole life long. May you, like I have been, be redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ and delivered out of all evil. May the love of God that I have received and the faithfulness that He has shown to me and the great work of salvation that I believe applies to me, that work of God at the cross of Jesus Christ, may you receive that blessing too according to the will of God. And we show ourselves to have strong faith like Jacob when we do so even in the face of our own personal weakness. Jacob knew his own weakness and he knew his own sins. Jacob knew that he was in desolate circumstances with his whole family. And maybe you as a church have been led into some difficult circumstances so that you wonder what's going to happen to our children. Well, has the God of the covenant changed? Has His will changed so that He's no longer pleased to continue His covenant in the line of generations? May that sentiment be far from us. By faith, we invoke the blessing of God upon our children and grandchildren even when we have nothing to offer them because we're going to die. And even when all earthly circumstances say that everything's going to fall apart here in Egypt, or in this worldly place in which we live, the will of God is established forever. And so, those of you who are in the years of childbearing and in childrearing, or those of you who will soon be married and look forward to the days of bringing forth children, don't be afraid to bring children into an evil world. Be very wary. Be very diligent to watch over them. But keep your eyes on the God of heaven, the God of Jacob, your God. And remember the care He's shown to you through the same wicked world. And seeing this great blessing so confidently applied by Jacob to his children and grandchildren and knowing knowing that you have this same confidence because you have received the same care like your parents and your grandparents have, this is the motivation for training up our children in the way that we should go. This is the motivation for educating our children as members of the covenant. We are confident that they shall be members like as we are for Jesus' sake. God is pleased to call them His friends and His servants. Therefore, we must teach them and we must discipline them. Remember to have that relationship straight. Our children are blessed and thus we teach them. Our children are not blessed because we teach them. But being confident in the will of God to be their friend and their God, being confident that God will be the shepherd to the little lambs of the flock, being confident that the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ applies to them as much as to us, we teach them 
about their God. We show them their Savior, Jesus Christ, and we lead them in the ways of His commandments. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, bless the children of the congregation. Bless our children's children. Even give, let thy blessing continue upon us only for the sake of Jesus Christ, only out of thy eternal good, good pleasure and purpose of election. And may we always enjoy the perfection of thy care until thou dost bring us all together unto glory. Amen.